Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachar Rosh Hashanah, daf Kaf Zion, page 27. So a couple of notes before we get going with the daf. First of all, our Siyum, November 14th. Um, you'll see we've sent out already, we've sent out an email with a link to sign up. And you'll see post Facebook, WhatsApp, and so on. Please sign up. If you have something you'd like to share, let us know. Uh, the usual drill. Okay. Um, also, before we get going on today's stuff, I just want to finish off a note on this maidservant from Rabbi Huda Nasi's house who was able to use terminology repeatedly as, as a daf presented it, right? And Chazal, who were basically overhearing her use, were able to say, oh, that's what that word means, that suddenly her kind of colloquial use provided understandings of terms that they simply did not know. So the the Koran translation, which is really Steinzel's, the Koran Steinzel's translation, provides some interesting information on exactly who she was. I had said, you know, was this only one person or was this many people? This um, this text says that it was one person. Um, she's mentioned here, you know, and and several other places. And the reason that she becomes this um, the go to. Right, the reason that her understanding is trusted is apparently she's using what was considered to be the purest and most ancient form of the Hebrew language, meaning that she's using terms that the rest of the sages or the sages themselves were no longer really familiar with. Meaning, we're talking about Rabbi Nasi, who compiled the Mishnah. So, if her Hebrew goes back earlier than theirs, or it's less adulterated, let's say by Aramaic terms and whatever other kinds of you know language creeps into the language right? that's what happened so then in this case it seems that she herself was unique in this um and she is it's not clear exactly what her role is outside of these particular kind of comments right she might have served as reputed nasi's housekeeper it's possible that she was raised in the family of nasi'im uh there's a nice line here her conduct and the witty wise speech that she uses or that she used are recounted in the Gemara. Now, that isn't only about yesterday's daf, right? Witty, wise speech. She becomes a known commodity. She doesn't have a name, but she has a really beautiful early Hebrew. So she becomes a dictionary, um, as it were. With that, Yerdan, I'm going to hand over Daf Kavzayan to you, and I'll come back on. I mean, I'm here, but I'll yeah. come back to talk about the Mishnah <laughs> afterwards. Well, th thanks for wrapping that up. That was an important thing to share. Um, so we're in the middle of a discussion about these chasot that were blown with the shofar, which is really not the way any of us think about the mitzvah of shofar. And I just want to read a little bit about what the Gemara discusses there. Right. So in the show, so the way the shofar was blown in Rosh Hashanah was you had the shofar in the middle and two trumpets blown at the same time. Um, the shofar would sort of be blown long and the trumpets would be would be blown short. So you could hear the shofar. So the Gemara asked a very obvious question, which is this practice of blowing the shofar and the trumpets together, how can you distinguish between these two sounds? And then they, you know, cite a very interesting price to, to prove this, Zahor v'shamor, right? This commandment to remember and to guard the Shabbat. We say, Bedibor echad namru. We say that Hashem said it in uh, sort of one, um, uh, you know, uh, one utterance, I guess is basically how we translate that. Something that a human mouth cannot do. And something that an ear cannot hear. In other words, what we're learning from this is 
is that God, when the Ten Commandments were given in a way that only God could do, could say both of those words in the same way. But it's impossible for a person, for a human, to be able to hear two things at the same time. So based on this price, I mean, again, I think it's such a brilliant proof. They're saying, well, how can you distinguish between hearing a shofar and hearing a trumpet? You don't know. You're, you're hearing both at the same time. So the Gemara answers, the kachma richta shofar. So you say, right. That's exactly the reason why we lengthen the sounds of the shofar exactly for that reason. So then the Gemara says, okay, so then aren't you saying then that you're hearing the end of the shofar blast and you're not really hearing the beginning, right? Yatsa. So in other words, what they're saying is, is that you, what, what they're saying is this, this, this instance here of saying that they're Yatsa, right? Is basically saying like, you know, after the fact, right, you're, you're going to be Yotze. So if, let's say you didn't really hear the beginning, but at the end you hear it, okay, you, you will have been Yotze. Umimela, Tichila Tikiya, right? So we could sort of infer from here that when one hears the beginning of the blast, below Sok Tikiya, and without hearing the end, Yatza, he also should be Yotze, right? So you, the Gemara basically answered that the mitzvah in the Beit HaMikdash was accomplished of shofar by hearing the end of the shofar blast, even if you did not hear the beginning, right? And so what they're trying to say here is that, you know, that it, it seems to be that you just have to hear the, the, the end, right? Could we also make an inference that maybe it's enough just to hear the beginning? And so what they're trying to question is, does it make a difference if it's the beginning of the blast that you hear or if it's the end of the blast that you hear. And so the Gemara now says, Toshma, come here from a Mishnah. Takaba Rishona. Let's say somebody blew this first tekiya. Umashach Bashniya Kishtayim. And then prolongs the second tekiya, right, for basically the length of two tekiyas, okay? So we need to know a little bit about how the mitzvah shofar was done, right? Um, you know, in the time of the Mishnah. Well, the way we do it was developed a little bit later. But you basically had three sets of sounds that were that were blown, right? Basically corresponding to Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofarot. And each one just was three was three blasts. It was a tekiah, which was long, a trua, right, which is the tu-tu-tu-tu-tu, and then that final tekiah, right? And each sound had to have sort of like a certain amount of duration. So in the Mishnah's case here, a person basically blows the first tekiah for the correct amount of time. But after that, that but after the trua, right, the shorter one, he blows a tekiya that's twice the required length. Okay, and so basically, and the intention there is is that that long blast basically concludes the tekiya of the first set. But could it also be considered as the tekiya of the second set? That's basically what this question. Mashach kishtayim, and so then it goes on to say ein biado ella achad. So when he does that extended blast, right? The Mishnah says he basically is only uh, he's only made one tekiah. He didn't make a tekiah to end the first set and a tekiah to begin the second set. It's like he only made one tekiah and it only belongs to the first set. So we say, am I, so, right? So now the Gemara says, right? Why, you know, if you can basically fulfill the mitzvah with part of a shofar blast, right? Why wouldn't this, am I, why wouldn't this, why does this extended blast only count for one tekiah? To Salek Le Bitarte, because it should really it should be considered as two. 
So in other words, it's bringing a proof from this mission to say sort of these partial blast things, maybe this doesn't actually make sense, that you could sort of listen to the partial blast and that should consider it. So the Gemara answer is, Pasuke tikiata mahade lo paskinan. We can't split parts of a blast from one another. In other words, it's saying the case here is totally different. When we're talking about the shofar being blown with the chatzot's throat, that's one way of distinguishing the shofar. But here, this case of the Mishnah is, is at the beginning of the blast, basically that, that first part of that long prolonged tikiya is part of the first set. And this, the end of it really cannot belong with the second set because it's a continuous sound and you can't really split it up to two. And so the Gemara is basically saying that they really don't belong together. So I, I first of all, I, I just like this passage for the proof that it brings from Shabbat, from Shamor B'Zachor. Um, but also, I think it's just interesting how they're thinking about sound and what does it mean to have intention with listening to sound? How long does a sound have to be? Can sound be broken up to count towards two places? Could it be one, you know, one long sound? I, I just think there's a lot to think about here in terms of our experience of listening to things. Um, I wanted also to note something you said early on about how the presumption is that we follow the the end of the sound, right? I feel like people rush to shul to get to hear the shofar, right? And everybody's trying to get there in time. And presumably everybody will get there in time, of course. But what if you come in late, right? And then you, but you hear the end of it. So does that count or does that not count, right? So this answers that. And then the question of like, but what about the beginning? Well, what if you heard the beginning and then you, you know, stepped out? And I feel like I would, I would infer, this is not on the daf, but I would infer like the, it's a rebuke. It's not, a, it's not stated as a rebuke, but who would leave in the middle of the show for being blown? Right now, I'm sure many mothers of young children can answer that question quite well. But as a, as a policy, like the, the chutzpah of leaving when the chauffeur is being blown, to me, it has a different identity than the running late. And I've made up these scenarios. But I think that it might have some explanation as to why the focus was on the end, meaning hearing the end of the chauffeur blast instead of the beginning of it. Yeah, I, right. I think there's, uh, it, it's something about the experience of sound, that somehow the emphasis could be on the end and on the beginning, right? Why couldn't you have argued that maybe you start with the chauffeur sound and then like the chatzot's throat would come in. Right. But I, but so I feel like, cause people wouldn't like the question of whether you're Yotze, whether you fulfilled the mitzvah in that way, I feel like perhaps there's something to be said for people aren't going to miss out on the end of the show for blowing. Right. Yeah, you wanna, I hear what you're saying. Like, yes, I, like I the, the company will say like, okay, dump it up. Now's the show for blowing. Everybody listen up. Right. As a, and, and if you're coming late, you'll still get that tail end as opposed to, but nobody's going to hear the beginning and then we're not going to denigrate like, oh, the that's the other part of it, right? That the chatzot come in like what you need, the chatzot after the shofar, that pure shofar blowing blast is being sounded. What do you need the accompaniment at the end? You need it as the introduction. Not as, I mean, all of this is, I would say, interpretation. I'm just saying, I think that there's something to, that you can, there's something to be darshaned here, right? To, to explicate what's going on. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, logically that this is the rationale i'm just it's just there for me you know like as uh why would this be the why would this be going on well i can come up with a few different possibilities um okay let's move on to the mishnah on this stuff it's the very bottom of amud aleph and continues on to amud bet 
And whereas this Mishnah does talks about both the physical shofar and also the sound. Shofar shenis dak So what happens? You've got a shofar, it's the horn, and it has cracked. And then you glue it back together, pasul. That is not a kosher shofar for the purpose of blowing shofar in Rosh Hashanah. Dibeg shivrei shofar wrote pasul. And also, if you blew, if you glued together fragments, meaning not just a crack within one shofar, but if you had broken pieces of shofar and you put it all back together, humpty dumpty, then you would still end up saying that is a pasul shofar. You cannot use it for this mitzvah. Um, I imagine this happens or it did happen on occasion, meaning it's it's a horn. I imagine over time they get a little more brittle, you know, whatever. Um, okay. And then the Gemara, the Mishnah here goes on. So what happens if you have a chauffeur? It really holds onto its shape, but it's been punctured somehow. And that puncture is now sealed, right? So it's not cracked. It's not in pieces. It's a, it's a hole, it, which is technically, I guess, that is some kind of blemish, but is it enough to make it... Um, so that the sound itself, if you were to blow it, would not be considered kosher, that the that the chauffeur is not considered kosher. In this case, if you have stopped up that hole and there's no difference to the sound of the chauffeur, then you're fine. You're good to go. But if it does get in the way, if it gets in the way of the, of the sound of the chauffeur, then that is pasul. Then that same punctured chauffeur that you fixed up, you, you stopped up the hole, it doesn't matter. You didn't, it's not enough. It does not count. You are. It's a pasul shofar for the purpose of the mitzvah. Ve'im lav kasher, as we've said, then that would be fine. Atokel to Now we come to really the crux of what's going to be a, an ongoing discussion, right? Um, the bal tokeya, somebody blows shofar from the midst of a pit, right? They're somehow stuck at the bottom of a pit. They've got their shofar and they're blowing. Olatoch hadot. What happens if you're in... Um, you blow shofar or into a large jug, right? I mean, all of these are, um, I would say, holes, right? And you're, whether you're, you yourself are in, in the physical hole or if you're simply blowing shofar into it, what happens is you've got walls there, right? And it makes an echo. So this is where the, the Mishnah goes. If, the, if you, somebody listening hears the voice of the shofar, yatsa, they can fulfill their obligation through this blowing. But if you hear the echo, as opposed to hearing the shofar itself, then lo yatsa. Then you have not fulfilled your obligation because, you know, and this will be as, you know, as I said, this is going to be an ongoing discussion, you know, is hearing the echo the same as hearing the voice of the shofar? And the answer, according to this mission, is absolutely not. And then the Mishnah goes on. Somebody walks behind the Beit Knesset, behind the Shul. Or you live really adjacent and you could hear things from the Shul going on while you are still in your house. And you hear, like, as you pass by or in your happenstance, right, you hear either the voice of the Shofar or somebody reading Megillah, obviously not on the same day, meaning it means Purim, the reading of the Megillah on Purim. If you say to yourself, I will fulfill my mitzvah through this through this shofar blast that I'm hearing in passing, or for that matter, the Megillah, right? Yatsa, then that works. You have fulfilled your obligation in that listening. 
if you don't stop and have intent, meaning and plan for yourself that you are in fact going to fulfill your obligation through this listening, then you did not. Meaning in this is the case, it becomes a very vibrant um, example of this discussion. We've had it before. We'll have it again of whether mitzvot kavana, whether the fulfillment of a mitzvah requires intent in order to have fulfilled it. And for the most part, we say, no, it does not. But this case seems to be yes. Um, okay. The mission says, even though in both cases, the person has heard the the shofar, let's say the shofar is being blown in shul and you're walking by, and whether you intended to be yotze or you did not have that intent, either way, your ears did the same exact process of hearing, the mission says, too bad, meaning it's not just about your ears hearing, it's also about what, what is your intent, what is your purpose, um, what is your relationship to that voice of the shofar. So this is a long and important Mishnah. Um, the cases are classic. Um, I I don't know how many of our co-learners have are familiar with the book, um, the Aleph Bet storybook by Deborah Pesson. It's a wonderful, wonderful storybook. Um, and it tells each chapter is basically the story of one of each letter of the Hebrew alphabet in succession. And when it comes to the letter pay, the letter pay has a beautiful voice from the word pe, right, meaning mouth. And he's very good friends with the shofar. And the shofar, it's a children's book, okay? So the shofar has a cold and a cough or whatever, and he lost his voice and he's not going to be able to be the shofar blast, you know, have the shofar blast. During when the rabbi or the baltokea, whoever comes to blow the shofar, and he's very concerned about this because he knows Rosh Hashanah is around the corner. So the letter pay decides that he's going to, they, they make a deal, he's going to hide inside the shofar. He's a letter, he can do it, it's a children's book. Um, and, and then when it comes time to blow the shofar, I'm not going to give it all away, but what happens is then the letter pay uses his voice to imitate the voice of the shofar. And everybody in the shul is so happy because they've now heard the beautiful voice of the shofar. And I can never read this story or think about this story without thinking about this Mishnah here and the Gemara that discusses going on, right? Meaning those people weren't, I understand it's a story, I understand it's a children's book, but those people were not Yotze because they didn't hear the kol shofar. They heard the kol, they heard the voice of the letter pay, right? So it's just an illustration, but it it speaks to the the essentialism that happens here when we're talking about the very nature of what this mitzvah is, which is namely to hear the voice of the shofar and and fulfill your obligation through also your own intent. But both pieces need to be there, certainly if you're in passing. I think that if you're in the synagogue for the purpose of hearing shofar, the kivinli bow aspect, the, the piece of intent is a little bit less intense. But look, this staff and the next staff are going to have many of the famous Gemaras that deal with this whole idea of, you know, what does intention look like? Um, and so I think we're going to wrap up our discussion about this tomorrow. Um, but I think we're, the Gemara is basically going to go through a variety of scenarios to be like, what is the level of intention that one needs? And I think also that beginning of the Mishnah, just to go back to that hand that you spoke about, is again, you know, discussing this whole thing, like you, you blow it in a pit or the echo is like, what is the experience of sound and how does that impact a mitzvah that's dependent on that experience of sound? Because it's very hard to quantify what does it mean to hear something? Like, I don't know how you hear something. Right. There's, a sub there's an inherently subjective element to anything that depends on people's perceptions. What happens if, you know, God forbid somebody's hard of hearing, but not 
not fully deaf, right? So they've heard something. Is it enough? And at what point do you say, yes, that's enough, and no, it's not enough? That There's a whole myriad of questions that come about because it's dependent on the experience, an individual's experience of this mitzvah. Right. And I think, you know, we're seeing some of that being discussed here, that it's trying to create standards for that, for an experience that you can't normally quantify. I also happen to really like the fact that the Gemara is attuned, or the Mishnah here, right? It's attuned to the fact that there are other sounds going on, right? Kol Havara, the voice of the echo, meaning if you blow the shofar in a cave or in a pit, right, then the sound's going to echo off the walls. And somebody could then hear that shofar echoing off the walls and think that they're hearing the shofar. You know, the again, the experience of it is not automatically definable if you don't know everything that's happening. And so then the question of, well, could you be, could you fulfill this mitzvah in passing, I think becomes very interesting. Yeah. I, and I think we'll see this, you know, answered a little bit differently tomorrow. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff in our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.